Merry Christmas, everybody. Really good to see you. And man, that's a great way to get into the season, wasn't it? And that was amazing. And as we start a new series today called The Cast of Christmas, we'll be looking today at Joseph. And we're going to jump into that, looking forward to it. Really important lesson there. But before we do, I want to say thank you for uh, everybody who jumped in on something we talked about last week. And that is the Good Complex podcast. And if you don't know what that is, you can look it up. Every podcast app, um, you can Spotify, whatever you use, uh, it's there. But I want to explain it just a, a little bit to help us understand that not only what it is, but also you have a very important role to play in the Good Complex. So the Good Complex is, is basically featuring stories of incredible good, Jesus kind of love, good and having critical conversations toward the common good. But the whole point of the good complex is really in a culture that is rejecting Christianity as negative, as bad, as arrogant, as whatever, an opportunity to connect people who are very skeptical to the beauty of Jesus. But it's done in a, because of the target, it's done in a pretty stealthy way. So just remember that. Um, it's, it's what a missiologist would call pre-evangelism more than evangelism. So evangelism is just a scary church word about just how to, how to help people uh, come to know God through faith in Jesus. And so if you expect the good complex to have, you know, at the end of every episode, here's how you can come to know God through faith in Jesus, it's not going to be there because it's not evangelism. Now, occasionally that will happen, but it's pre-evangelism. What I mean by that is this. We're just trying to get people from like a negative 10 to a negative 5. Or negative five to a negative two or negative two to a zero where they're open to Jesus and they're open to the message. It's what Paul talked about in first Timothy and Titus, what Peter talked about to the believers in Rome in first Peter to live lives in such a way that create thirst for Jesus. That, that makes people open, that makes people want to ask, what makes you tick? Like Peter said, like, what, why do you live this way? What, what is the reason for the hope that you have? And what that means is you and I should be ready if we share the podcast with our friends, if we share it on social media, we need to be ready to have those conversations because they'll happen. Yeah, but it really is designed to do that and be like, man, that was amazing. And I, and you'll be able, you know, I can't believe that. It's so amazing that person did that or it's so cool that that or man, that's such an incredible perspective. And you'll have opportunity to have conversations that you share it with. Does that make sense? So it, I mean, it's great for us. You're going to, I mean, I, I love it. You're going to get a lot out of it, but it's really designed not for us, but for those who are not here, for those who are skeptical about Christianity. And it's a tool for us in that process of helping people in their spiritual journey. So subscribe to it, share it, and be ready to do what we just said. Share your story and all that. So that's the good complex. Now, speaking of the good complex, it actually has a tie into Christmas because we uh, had a dinner a couple nights ago with one of the producers of the good complex. His name is Jason, and he shared something I thought was pretty cool. And that is that this weekend, there's a new Hallmark Christmas movie. And, uh, and I'm, I will say I'm not the biggest fan of Hallmark Christmas movies, but uh, I like them more than I'll let on sometimes. But, um, but we're going to watch this one because it, the, this new one that's coming out this weekend is about his parents' story. Like it's his parents' story that is the story, which is pretty cool. You know, to have your story in a Hallmark Christmas movie, right? And those Hallmark Christmas movies are, yeah, they're formulaic and predictable. But, you know, in a world like this, you know it's going to be 
happy. <laughs> you know, it's going to be good. And, and you do have this, you know, happy, warm, fuzzy, Christmassy feeling. You know, it's designed to do that by the end of it. And when you think about that formula, as we look back at the original Christmas story 2,000 years ago, because we know the big picture, we know how it all ends up, like we, you know, we're looking back with the, with hindsight, which is 2020 to, it all makes sense, it's all so beautiful, that we can read the Christmas story and kind of feel that same way. Like it'd be a great Hallmark Christmas movie. It's so warm and fuzzy and Christmassy and get your hot chocolate and oh, this is so, Wonderful, the shepherds and the star and the, you know, the manger and the barn and the, the whole deal, right? It's like, oh, that's so sweet. But for the people going through it 2,000 years ago, the cast of Christmas, especially Joseph and Mary, it was not so warm and fuzzy. Now, it was wonderful. There were parts of it that were truly amazing. But as they were going through it, they didn't have the gift of hindsight. They didn't have the big picture. It was at times very confusing, very difficult, uh, disconcerting, made no sense. What do we do now? And we're going to see that as we look at Joseph's story. And as we do, I think it's really important as we approach Christmas because some of you, well, I'd say many of you, wherever you are right now watching um, are going through a season, or maybe you have in the past, that's pretty confusing, or very confusing. That just doesn't make any sense. That there are things that are happening right now in your life, or in relationships, and whatever, or things that have happened in your past you're still trying to make sense of, that if there is a good God with a good plan, it's hard to see how what's going on right now, or what has gone on in the past, could possibly be part of that. And when you find yourself in a time like that, I mean, maybe you're experiencing loss, that you thought you'd spend the rest of your life with this person and they broke up or there's been a death or a divorce or something, or you, you thought your family would be a certain way and it's just not. Or maybe you had, you had hopes for a, a, a business or a career or your job and it's not working out at all like you thought. Maybe it's a health issue with you or someone you love or some struggle uh, emotionally or you don't know. I mean, I don't know. There, there's all kinds of ways in a fallen world where life just is not working the way we think it should. And yet God is supposed to have this great plan. You're like, I don't I don't get how all this I, I can't connect the dots. If you are there, then today is going to be really, really helpful. As we look at Joseph, who goes through this story, we're going to see it. There was a lot of that in his story. And the, and the big idea of today, the big lesson we learn from him is this. When you don't know what you don't know, go with what you do know. When you don't know what you don't know, go with what you do know. That doesn't make sense now. Hopefully it will by the end of the talk. When you don't know what you don't know, go with what you do know. There was a lot he didn't know, but he went with what he knew. So that takes us to the Christmas story in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 1. And, uh, and, here's, it, and, and it starts out like a Hallmark Christmas movie. It really does. It's like, oh, you're, you're gonna, in fact, after I read it, I'll have you do that. So just be prepared. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Aw, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is sweet, right? It's a little engaged couple. And that's wonderful, right? That time of life and so much hope and love and everything's, you're, you're, 
future spouse is perfect. They can't do anything wrong. They're amazing. And because uh, you don't know yet, you know, right? You're just in that engagement period. And, and, uh, and, and to understand that marriage and engagement has some similarities, but some differences 2000 years ago. So uh, for one, they would have been much younger than we get married. Um, so uh, girls at that time got married as young as like, I mean, typically it's like 12 or 13. So Mary would have been, when she got engaged, like 12 or 13. That's pretty young. Uh, guys were married a little bit later, but just a few years later. So Joseph would have been probably like 14, 15, 16, something like that. So this was a very young couple going through all that they went through. The way they did marriage was in two steps, kind of like we do, just a little bit different. I mean, you get engaged, right? And then get married down, you know, sometime. Well, in their case, similar, but their engagement or betrothal was much more binding. Uh, they were also um, arranged marriages. It wasn't like you dated and fell in love and all that. You, they were arranged marriages by your parents. There was a contract. There was money exchange. And you were betrothed for usually it, that lasted for about a year. And you actually saw each other very little uh, in that year. And then there would be the wedding and then marriage after that. So they're in the betrothal period. They're in that engagement period. And everything's happy. Everything's exciting. Until there's a major wrinkle that happens. Matthew 1.18. But before they came together as man and wife and sexually, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now that's a wrinkle. Now a lot of couples have had that wrinkle. Who are dating or who engaged. And I was like, oh, well, here we are. I didn't, you know, we're, I'm pregnant. But this one's different because Joseph knows, yeah, you're pregnant, but it's not mine. Because they haven't been together. Now, Matthew, who's writing the book of Matthew, is looking back decades later when he's writing it. He knows the big picture. He knows the story that Joseph doesn't know. That this baby, as he says, is through the Holy Spirit. That this is a divine miracle. But at the time, Joseph doesn't know that. All he knows as a 16, 15 year old guy is my fiance is pregnant and it's not from me. And that's a dilemma. So what's he going to do? Matthew 119. Next verse, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Now, that's not talking about like laws of the land. It's about the Old Testament law, the Old Testament teachings of what it means to be godly and so on. And, you know, and about marriage and, and where that fits and sexuality and all that. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, meaning he was committed to doing the right thing, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace and love. He's committed to doing what's right and what's loving. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He said divorce, they're just engaged. Again, their engagement was more binding than ours. So this was a big deal to do that. But this was taking the high road in a big way, because typically what would happen in this case is he would expose her publicly. She would be shamed. In fact, in the Old Testament law, she could be stoned to death. I mean, it was a, it was a big deal. He didn't want that kind of public disgrace, that kind of public shame for her. And yet at the same time in the Old Testament law, he couldn't just act like it's no big deal or it didn't happen. So he does in a very confusing time. The right thing, the loving thing, definitely the high road. He just says, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to call off the engagement quietly, which would actually protect her, but make him look like a major goober. But that's what he does, because that's what love does, what's best for the other person. Now, fortunately, he doesn't have to go through that plan, because likely that night 
in his sleep. It says, but after he had considered this, that was his plan, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. I don't know what angels sound like. Joseph or something. Son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, that's a lot to take in for a 16 year old guy with a pregnant fiance that's not his baby. Right. I mean, that's a lot to take in by, the, you know, for this. So think about it. First part is, hey, you know what? I know you're freaked out about the her, she's pregnant and you haven't had sex with her thing. But chill out about that because this is from the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that even mean? I mean, at that time, what would he have really understood from that phrase? This baby is from the Holy Spirit. Now, he knew that the Holy Spirit is God. God is Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He knew that. So he would have known, okay, God is somehow is involved in this thing. It's a God thing somehow. But he had a lot more questions and answers about that. Like, you know, we can look back and there's this whole theology of the virgin birth and all, you know, we, and, and even that's kind of, you know, confusing, but for him in that moment, he knew very little, but it's like, Hey, chill out. It's okay. In fact, you got two instructions. Go ahead and marry her. Cause this is from the Holy spirit. You're good. So go ahead and marry her. And when the baby's born, it's going to be a little boy and you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to be the savior of the world. That's also a lot to take in for a 15, 16 year old guy. This little baby is the savior of the world. It's the name of Jesus because Jesus means, it's actually a fairly common name. It's, a, it's related to the name Joshua uh, that, you know, shows up too in the Bible. Uh, Yeshua is the Hebrew form of that. It, it means Jehovah will save or God will save. Name that because this is the savior of the world. Now, Joseph would have known enough to know Hey, this is like the one promise from God for centuries that would come to save the world from sin. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. And I guess I'm the stepdad or like I'm the one to raise this. But I mean, this, that, that was a whole lot to take in. So, you know, I mean, he's trying to figure it out. But again, he's got a lot more questions and answers. He's trying to figure out how this, you know, what all this is going on. And Matthew, looking back, adds an important Thing. Now, again, Matthew has the version as he's writing this decades later of hindsight. Hindsight is 2020, right? And he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said in the Old Testament, Isaiah 7, through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew, looking back, said, hey, this is part of God's plan all along. That a virgin would conceive and give birth to this baby that would be Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world. And, and see, it all fits. Matthew knew that, but Joseph would not have been able to put that together yet. So when you don't know what you don't know, which he really didn't know the big picture, what do you do? Well, when you don't know what you don't know, go with what you do know. What does he know? He knows what the God through the angel told him to do. And so he does just that. When Joseph woke up, verse 24, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. He eventually did because Jesus had brothers and he gave him the name Jesus. He did exactly what God told him to do. When you don't know what you don't know, go with what you do know. And that's what he did. He had a lot of questions, but he went with what he did know, what God had told him to do. Now, Matthew, that's all he gives of the birth narrative. Luke gives a whole lot more. And in our Christmas Eve service, which is all a big deal around Chase Oaks. In fact, if you've never been to one, you, it's a don't miss event around here. It's going to be great. 
fact, I'm, I'm doing this one from, uh, the talk is from Bethlehem, from outside Bethlehem, the shepherd's fields, as we focus on the shepherds. And uh, so it'll be kind of cool. Music and all, it's just going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great. And uh, so don't miss it and invite somebody. Because right now, as people are, you know, I should get back into church. on. It's a good time to invite people. And so make sure that you do that. Don't just come alone. Come with somebody or at least give them a shot. And, uh, but that's, that's, so that's from, that'll be from Luke. And Luke tells us about the angels appearing with the shepherds and coming and, and uh, no room in the inn. And, you know, which now is kind of cute to us that he was born in a barn and, and all that. It's like, oh, you know, but, but then that would have been really disconcerting, would have made no sense to this young couple. This is the savior of the world and this is what God does. I mean, he, you know, we, and, uh, I mean, all that would have, they would have, it was a lot for this young couple. Well, then the manger scene's over. They didn't live in a manger forever, or you know, they didn't live in a barn forever. You know, Jesus was born there. They do stay in Bethlehem, and, um, and st- they came from Nazareth, but stayed in Bethlehem. Um, evidently, they got a little house, like their first house as a little family with their new little baby. And maybe some of you can remember, you know, you look back at your first house. You remember your first house and how excited. Some of you are looking ahead, hoping you can get your first house and think, oh, that'll be great. We've got our first house. This was their first little house, everything good. The next part of the story happens when Jesus was about two years old, we're told. So now he's not a little baby anymore, not in the manger, right? He's a little two-year-old. And that's where the next part of the story, which is the wise guys or the wise men from the east who come. So let's talk about the wise men and that part of the story. Because I was wonderful and confusing and all that at the same time. So the wise men. Let's do a little wise men trivia, in fact. So uh, see what we all know about the wise men. How many wise men were there? Three. What were their names? Larry, Curly, Moe. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. It's in the Bible somewhere. And so, yeah, so it's a, um, okay, actually, that's tradition. But Matthew is the one who talks about it. He doesn't tell us how many. So we actually don't know how many. That was a trick question. Didn't that mean? Um, uh, we don't know how many wise men there were. We don't know their names. Uh, but we do know that they were wise men from the east, which meant from the region of Babylon. And they were magi, which means they were astrologers and like considered wise people who, were, who would give advice to kings and royalty. And, and they come. God decides to, uh, to reveal this truth to them, that God is sending the Savior, the king, into the new king of kings, king of the world, into the world, king of the Jews, into the world. And so they come, you know, there's the celestial sign. All that. So they come first to Jerusalem, because if they're coming to see the newborn king of the Jews, that's where you're going to go, because that's where the palace is. That's where the king of the Jews is. And but there's already somebody there with that title. His name is Herod, that Caesar had crowned him king of the Jews. And the, the wise men go because they want to see this new baby, the newborn king of the Jews that they know is very special. And Herod's like, I don't, you know, I, I mean, he acts like what he knows what he's talking about. They know he knows what they're talking about, but he doesn't. And he's freaked out because uh, we know from history, Herod was a very, very paranoid guy. And he killed anybody who thought about being king or who thought he shouldn't be king. He had him killed. He had wives and children and all kinds of things killed over the years. So he acts, he kind of plays along with it because he's going to kill this baby eventually. But the wise men come, a prophecy predicts that the baby would be born in Bethlehem and the celestial sign points there. So they go to Bethlehem here. It's like, hey, you know, tell me, you know, come back through here. Let me know who the baby is so I can worship him too because he wants to kill him. God changes that plan. They don't go back that way. But anyway, the wise men go and they go to the house. Again, it's not, they're not really part of the manger scene because Jesus is now two. He doesn't stay in a manger for two years. 
And he's, you know, they're in their little house. And I guess they knock at the door. And evidently Joseph was a better guy than me, better man than me. I know he was. Because when a stranger knocks at my door, I hate to admit this, but if, if, I, if I don't know them, um, often I'll act like I'm not home. I know that's terrible, but if they look like they could be a salesperson, like selling roofing or magazines or something, or if they're the kind of people, you know, like with, especially if they have the, the black pants and the white shirt and the black tie and the little book, you know, whatever they're from, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness or whatever. I mean, you might think, oh man, you're a pastor. I bet you love when those people come and you have these great theological conversations. No, I don't. I don't want anything to do it. I just act like I'm not there, but you know, Joseph, a better man than me. So these strangers knock at the door. And they open it and these guys come in and they worship the baby. They worship the two-year-old. Jesus, They worship him as God. I mean, that was amazing, right? And they give gifts. Gold, right? Remember frankincense and myrrh. Gold, we understand. Frankincense and myrrh were very expensive perfumes. And the point wasn't to smell good. And, uh, but frankincense is extremely expensive. Myrrh also expensive. But it was, in 2,000 years ago, a way to store wealth. So, so that would have been a wow moment. That is amazing, right? The wise men go away and they're like, whoa. And not only was this amazing that they come all the way to worship him and that God had done that, but also for a poor couple. I mean, Joseph was a poor guy. He was a construction worker, a day laborer. And he had never seen this much money in his life. I mean, this was way more than he thought he would ever see. So if he's anything like me, he's already spent it in his head. It's like, oh man, you know, and we... Think about what we can do with it. I mean, we can get, you know, set aside some for Jesus' education. And then, you know, we kind of need a new chariot, you know, maybe a Tesla because they're, you know, they're good for the environment and they're really cool and they're fast. And, and, uh, and then we got to buy like an 80 inch TV, you know, for Jesus so he can watch his Alabama games because, you know, you know how much he loves Alabama games. And, uh, we all know that, right? I mean, why else do you think they're in the playoffs every year, right? You're all tied. Thank you, right? I know that's obnoxious, but you got to admit, I've been really good this year. Haven't I? Is an Alabama fan? No? No love. Okay. All right. I'll move on. Um, maybe Santa's taking me off his list too. I don't know. But um, so anyway, I mean, he's got to be. Th- I mean, he's like, wow, this is amazing. But that euphoria didn't last long. Like that made sense. Jesus, Savior of the world. These guys come. Now there's all this money. They're like, yeah, now this is working. But what comes next would have been really hard for them to say, oh, yeah, that's obviously part of God's plan. So he goes to bed again, goes to sleep that night when Joseph, uh, oh boy, let me find it. When they had gone, when the wise guys had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Again, Herod paranoid. He does that. He kills all these kids. It's terrible. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night under the cover of darkness and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Now, that was not part of the plan. To run for your life, to go to a foreign country as an immigrant, to go as a refugee, to just take whatever you can, and this was about a 200-mile journey, likely, where they went not only through the borders of Egypt, but likely to Alexandria, Alexander the Great, had started Alexandria in part as a refuge for Jews in times of trouble for them. And so there's a huge Jewish population. Likely that's where they went, was to Alexandria. This was, this was not their dream, to leave their livelihood, their family, their home, to face you know, 
possible death and, and to run for their lives and be a, an immigrant, a refugee in a foreign country with nothing, except they did have something for their time there. What was that? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Which is likely how God provided for them to be able to sojourn in Egypt. They did that for, it would have been probably about a year. And Matthew's going to add something. The next verse, he says, and so is fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet in the Old Testament out of Egypt. I called my son, meaning Matthew's looking back and said, I'm oh, in so cool a Christmas story like this was prophesied hundreds of years before. It's so in that cool. But Joseph didn't know that. It wasn't obvious to him. This, this, this wouldn't have made sense to him. Like really the savior of the world. And this is what's happening. Like we got to run for our lives to Egypt. And what do you do? When it gets confusing, well, when you don't know what you don't know, you go with what you do know. He he couldn't have connected the dots. He didn't know the big picture, but he knew what God told him to do. And that's exactly what he does. He does the next best, the next right thing. And that's his pattern. The next right thing. The next right thing. Even when the big picture may not make sense, I'm just going to keep doing the next right thing. After about a year, it says in verse 19, after Herod died... An angel of the Lord appeared once again in a dream. After a while, I wouldn't want to go to sleep anymore. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, man, what's going to happen? But anyway, after, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, who was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Still didn't feel safe. Having been warned in a dream, another angel dream says, yep, you're right. Don't go there. He withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth where Joseph had lived before. This out of nowhere place, out out of the middle of nowhere place. So as fulfill what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Once again, Matthew's letting us know, oh, this is so cool. This was prophesied too, that he'd be from Nazareth. But Joseph doesn't know that. It seems random to him, but if that's what he's supposed to do, that's what he's going to do. Doesn't make sense. Not the way he would choose, not the life he would want. But you know what? If, if when you don't know what you don't know, go with what you do know. Now, that's important, as I said at the beginning, because some of you are in a situation right now that or have been in your life that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If there is a good God with a good plan for your life. Like, like, <laughs> it's like I, I, I have no idea how my marriage is part of God's good plan or my lack of a marriage or my family or my lack of a family or my health or my emotional health or my job or my, my financial situation or whatever. And everybody around you is saying Merry Christmas and you're trying and you may even say Merry Christmas back, but in your heart. You're not feeling it because your life is not a Hallmark Christmas movie. In fact, your life would make a terrible Hallmark Christmas movie because it doesn't feel like it's happy and going to have a happy ending. And it's hard to trust that it will in the middle of it when the middle's like what you're going through. And when you find yourself in that kind of situation, it's not easy at all, right? But what do you do when you don't know what you don't know? You don't know the big picture. You go with what you do know. Now think about that. Because you know the same thing Joseph did. What do you know? 
Even when you don't know the big picture, you can't understand it. That makes sense. What do you know? You know a lot, actually. You know that there is a God who is in control. You know that God is good. You know that God loves you and has your best interest at heart. And you know God is weaving your story together and there will be an ending that will be good. It's true. You don't know how, doesn't make sense, but you know that. And you know, therefore, that God can be trusted. And you know not only that God can be trusted, but you know that your job is to keep taking steps, like Joseph did, to keep moving forward with what you do know. Because God has revealed a lot in the Bible to help guide us through even crazy times. We also have each other to help and to say, hey, I may not know the next step. Will you help me find it? And the Bible gives a lot. I mean, it may not be feel perfect like Joseph when, hey, my fiance is pregnant. What am I going to do? I don't know. I could do this. I could do this. The best thing I can think of to do that's loving and that's righteous is to say I'm going to divorce her quietly. That at that time, or you go to any of these decisions and he's just making the best decision he can make with the revelation and the insight that he has. And that's the trick that like that's what it means to walk with God in the middle of sometimes very confusing situations. And when we do that, something amazing happens and it's better than our life being a Hallmark movie. It's better than our life turning out exactly like we want if when you and I go through difficult, confusing times by faith and we follow God into it and we do the best we can to keep doing the next right thing, the next right thing, the next right thing. That's how we become the kind of people that we really do want to become. That's how we become godly. That's how we become mature. When you go through those times, if you don't go through it that way, you're not going to become mature. You can become the opposite of that. You're not going to become godly. You're going to become bitter or whatever. But when you go through it, you say, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to do, keep doing the next right thing. That's how we become godly. There, in fact, there's no other way to do it. If our lives were all Hallmark Christmas movies, none of us would be godly. It would be impossible. Because it happens through confusion and through difficulty when we cling to God and we develop a relationship with him of dependence and trust. And he carries us through and we get to know him in a deeper and deeper way that begins to deepen us and change us. I ran across this quote this week by Gary Thomas uh, that said, says salvation is free, but maturity comes at a price. That's just true. And that's why sometimes, you know, when you say, oh, man, they've got an easy life, that may not be the best thing. And when God wants to deepen us, sometimes he will gift us with difficulty. Because in that is incredible opportunity. It's what uh, one another author, Eugene Peterson, calls a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Like Joseph, even when it gets confusing, we just keep doing the next right thing. The next loving thing, the next right thing, the next loving thing. Big picture may not make sense. I just keep doing the best I can. I keep taking steps forward. When I fail, I fall toward God and I keep taking steps forward. And in, when we do that over a long period of time, a long obedience in the same direction, again, that's where godliness comes from. And that's what Joseph models. It's kind of like this glow stick. So I really think these are cool. I know I'm too old to get overly excited about these. But, and I know they've been out for a long time. But I think they're awesome glow sticks. And, and, you know, and 
like I like to ski. Our family likes to ski. And where we like to ski, because Christy's sister lives in Beaver Creek, so that's where we go. And, uh, and on Thursday nights, it's a thing. It's really just for kids. And, I, and so, therefore, it's kind of creepy if I try to do this, because it's like for kids with parents, you know. And, but now I have a grandkid, and she's just one, so she can't ski. But next year, she'll be two. She'll be skiing by then. I believe it. And uh, because what they do is they, there's just this little hill at night. Everybody gets glow sticks. And all the kids get glow sticks. And they just ski a little bit down the hill. But it really is cool watching it in the dark, all these glow sticks going, you know, down the thing. It's awesome. I love it. It's like, oh, man, this is so great. Cool. Glow sticks are great. I mean, this, this one has such great potential to shine, right? And it just to be cool. But how does a glow stick work? The only way it can shine and the potential can come out is if it's broken. It's not broken. It's just a piece of plastic. But when you break it, it has the potential to kind of be amazing. And for you and me, there's no cheap way to maturity. There's, there's no easy way to godliness. It actually takes, as part of our journey, brokenness and confusion, just like Joseph would have experienced, that there were some marvelous things. We'll have some big ups in life, but there were some things that made no sense. And what do you do? Regardless, long obedience in the same direction. You just keep, as best you can, doing the next right thing. The next right thing. The next right thing. You trust God with the big picture. You trust him with the story. Even when it doesn't make sense, keep doing the next right thing. Keep trusting him. And you won't do it perfectly, but that's okay. That's part of the journey too. Just fall forward when you fall. And over time, like Joseph, you become mature. You become godly. You become the kind of person you really want to become. Way better than a Hallmark movie. And so what I want us to do is I want us to go before God in prayer. Because this is easier said than done. To say, God, would you help me in my confusion to just keep doing the next right thing? Long obedience in the same direction. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for how you always lead us forward. You often do not give us the big picture. I'm sure we couldn't understand it if we tried. And so God, help us just to trust you with that. And again, God, I, I pray especially for those who are in a situation right now that is really hard. That makes very little sense with some kind of good plan. And maybe there's a struggle that people have been praying you would take away and you're not taking it away. There's a situation that you're praying, people are praying will change and you're not changing it or it's just not working out. And Father, would you help us, even as we pray you do all those things, in the meantime to trust you. And to keep taking steps with you. And would you meet us in those steps and strengthen us and encourage us and grow us. And that you would help us live a life of a long obedience in the same direction. And just help us keep doing the best we can, the next right thing, the next right thing, and to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.